The savings rock when you find a new way to roll, like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What is that? That's the way I've discovered to annoy people in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm happy you're finding new ways oh, no, to. No, 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 that's no, 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 oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Well, that's the most horrific thing that's, uh, that's going to happen on today's episode. That's for sure. <laughs> I will say that last night while we were in the middle of shooting, the Ferguson riots were getting so intense that yep. they shut down I-75. And um, I was very excited about the idea of walking out of this house onto the street where you could actively hear the Ferguson riots uh, ripping through the city. The city was shutting down. And I am a giant literal white devil uh-huh. yeah you're filming your pretty face is going to hell here right yes i'm in atlanta georgia yeah. god i love it yeah so you could hear ferguson from atlanta georgia no they were having their own riot too. right we were having a franchise riot <laughs> i know they are franchising out these riots new york had a fairly successful uh, riot as well bill bratton our police commissioner got doused with fake blood and i'm gonna say it looked pretty cool <laughs> it looks pretty cool it, it fit him it did also what i which which a lot of fun is um with these franchise riots there are a lot of times they're owned by sort of like an indian man named like vahir mm. you know and he comes out and he's like what make god you come and you clean the floor of the riot <laughs> you know riot is a, a how dare you leave the sesame buns out of the containment containment chest yeah because they must be in there or else they get hard as the dickens oh no here comes the black man <laughs> It's a good day if you're in the riot cleanup business, I suppose. Let's talk about yeah. today's subject. Let's get out of the United States. Let's get out of the race riots. Let's go to our uh, to the place where our former queen resides. <laughs> the UK, the United Kingdom, the horrors that are living Very good. in the UK today. Yes, and we're going to we're going to be covering uh, a crypto 
We're oh, going to be okay. uh, covering some hauntings, and we're going to be hmm. covering a uh, pair of murderers that people have been clamoring for us to cover for a long time. We're going to be covering the Moores murderers, Ooh. Mira Hindley and Ian Brady. The crypto tiptoed through the tulips. <laughs> if I ever have a child, child who has a speech impediment, that's what I'm going to make him say over and over and over. <laughs> the crypto tiptoed through the tulips. And if you are uh, in the UK right now, what I say you do is doff your cap, remove your velocity. <laughs> lower cape take off your many layers of acrylic clothing mm-hmm. and also because i've also heard in victorian times people would wear underwear with holes in it so their fucking dick and pussies gonna hang out well, I'm, so they I'm can big... dump through their clothes because they're wearing so many clothes because all the clothes is what keeps all the fucking rancid british stink in there mm-hmm. take off all of your layers um that hide your shameful bodies um, spark up a rondebot. That's what I think they call joints over there. A rickety Roy. Yep. And uh, enjoy yourself some horrors of the UK. Well, I don't think they have lumpy bodies or whatever you describe them as. They're beautiful women in the UK. I'm following no, people. I think the women are beautiful in the UK. They're absolutely gorgeous. I'm mm-hmm. so excited. The men, however, are very smart. <laughs> what does that mean? They're very smart. All right. They're very smart. Well, I like that you described my exact underwear situation. I feel very British right now. No nope. holes where there shouldn't be holes. I'm on that day three of these boxer shorts. Very good. <laughs> That's why we're doing well, the have, British I episode. I have a bunch of glue left on my head because my skin is falling off. <laughs> yeah. You're sort of like, uh, what is it, Meryl Streep and Death Becomes Her? I am. I'm becoming that. I'm becoming yeah. Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. Um, so this first character we're, we're going to uh, cover is one of my favorite cryptids I've ever read about. Yep. Uh, Henry, you mentioned the Victorian era, and we're going to start off with a little cryptid that first showed up in the Victorian area. He's an evil phantom. He's masked underneath a cloak. He's got fire, fiery eyes and flaming breath. His Uh-oh. name, spring Jack. Oh, spring Jack. Yeah, that's the run. Where's the high heels? spring Jack. It sounds yes. like somebody who skips everywhere. <laughs> spring Jack. Is somewhere between Tigger and Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh, can you please not associate Tigger with Bill Cosby? Good I'm just lord. Spring Hill Jack is a jumping f- groper <laughs> with beautiful with, with giant red eyes that haunted England for many uh for like three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's said to wear a black coat, a helmet, and an oil skin. He has red balls of fire for eyes Uh and clawed hands or hands wearing metallic claws. Witnesses differ. He can breathe white flames of horror and take gigantic leaps, hence spring-heeled. Right. And during the earliest reports, he was said to present himself in three disguises, a ghost, a devil, or a bear. Yeah. I mean, I feel like spring-heeled Jack just wanted to avoid a lot of puddles. Because it rains a lot in the UK, and then he's like, with any luck, they're going to treat me like I'm some sort of special uh, crypto. Oh, yes, I'm Spring Hill Jack. Jumpy doo, patting of the shoe. Can't, can't get any shepherd's pie on my shoes, and I jump. Ooh. I put a sheet over my head, and I'm a ghost. I put a rug over my head, and I'm, I'm a bear. <laughs> Squeezy boobies, off I go. Atop of my hat. That's what he is? That's Spring Hill Jack? He says a, ta- a doff of my hat, he removes his hat, and then he just plays with your nipples like they're radio dials. Like, <laughs> oh. 
I like that one. That's This is my kind of guy. Well, let's start with the first recorded sightings. It goes back to October of 1873 with a Miss Mary Stevens, who, while on her way to Lavender Hill through Clapham Common. Worst <laughs> names. Mary <laughs> Stevens, honestly, though, like, for some reason, I imagine her as really hot. I imagine oh, her, like, yeah. all wiggly, all in a, in a loose frock. Mm. Definitely. Mary Stevens is a very sexually attractive name. Oh, yeah. Well, not everyone in the Victorian era dressed in Victorian era clothes. Mm. A lot of them were horribly poor. Ah, okay. Yeah, so some loose-fitting oh, yeah, so rags. Like, wrap herself in, a just, in just like loose trash and <laughs> yeah. mud. <laughs> that's how most people in uh, that's how most common people in England dressed in 1837. Well, I've seen some people on the subway in some really sharp-looking newspaper suits. <laughs> so maybe they did kind of look good. Well, she was attacked by a cloaked figure who first leapt at her, then while <laughs> gripping her firmly to keep her from wiggling around, mm-hmm. sexually assaulted her and uh, tore off her clothes as a little the bit l- <laughs> How many fingers can I get in your belly button? <laughs> 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 And as the girl yeah. screamed in horror, the assailant fled from the scene, and despite a thorough search, no trace of him was ever found. But the very next day, Springhill Jack was seen in the same neighborhood, where he jumped before a coach, causing the coachman to lose control Uh-oh. and have an accident. He then gave out a horrific shriek of laughter and made his getaway by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall. That is kind of funny, though. <laughs> if, you, if you can cause an accident. Jack. Call AAA, you piece of shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> jump away, I'm Springhill Jack. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a lot nicer than sexually assaulting someone. Much nicer. You know. But yeah. the way I imagine him assaulting women is just like slapping their boobies back and forth. <laughs> yeah, because you think of everything like a Benny Hill sketch when it comes to the slap, Brits. Slap, 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 slap. Just fluffing their boobies. It's like, oh, I love how they bounce. All right. Well, <laughs> just the women go, stop it. stop it, you horrible man. I wish you were right, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> so a few months later in February of 1838, he assaulted two more young women. He assaulted Jane Alsop, who was in her father's house on the mm-hmm. night of February 19th when there was a knock at the door and a voice called claiming to be a policeman asking her to bring a light as he had caught spring Jack the in the lane. It's the police, certainly not Spring Hill Jack. Uh, sounds like not something the police would say, but. <laughs> and as she opened the door, she saw a cloaked figure waiting there. And on handing over the candle to him, the man suddenly threw off his cloak, <laughs> revealing a, quote, most hideous and frightful appearance. Ah, my dick is out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with fiery eyes, he spewed blue and white flames onto Jane's face and then tore off her gown and inflicted bloody scratches on her neck and arms with ice-cold metallic claws. I swipe you, I swipe you, I swipe you, I swipe you, I swipe you. And away, Springfield Jack, to the night sky, and chippity jump. <laughs> I think he vomited, like, the worst booze in in London all over her probably as well. <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs> But Jane's sister appeared, and Jack fled. Next up was Lucy Scales. <laughs> so how did she get out of this one? She just fought him off? No, her br- her sister appeared, and Jack ah. said, Away! Away, Jack! Okay. And a jump! You can only handle one at a time. Yeah. 
So Lucy Scales on February 28th, she was 18. She was returning with her sister from their brother's house in Limehouse. And as they were passing the Green Dragon Alley, Lucy came across a man in a large coat who unexpectedly spurted out blue flame onto her face, disabling her sight and triggering, and triggering violent seizures, which lasted for hours. Crazy. And then he sexually assaulted her as well? No, he just spit shit in her face and ran off. What is this guy up to? <laughs> Lucy Scales uh, did not really fit spring Jack's level of attractiveness. Yeah, I think he's got it all wrong. <laughs> I mean, he has, he has a cantaloupe in a satchel, and he lifts it up, and if her breasts are not the size of the cantaloupe, then he, he only burns them with yep. the seizure flames. Let him go. <laughs> and then he jumps, he jumps into the sky. What is this stuff? <laughs> oh, son. In August of 1877, uh, a few years later, uh, actually uh, a few decades later, uh, at the Aldershot Barracks in North Camp Central Road, a sentry came across a strange figure who advanced towards him and slapped him several times across the face. And- ah, ha, ha, Spring Hill Jack, what did you get? A slippity slap. Slap, 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 slap. And away you go. <laughs> and the guard shot at him, but to no avail. Oh. And the figure then disappeared with astounding leaps. Hence, the <laughs> spring Jack connection. Stickly snuck, a Jack. Try to catch him. You'll always fail. Jibbity jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy is getting away like that constantly with the jumps. And it can't be the fastest way to move. <laughs> I just think this is a crackhead. Yeah. After a while, it just, it just sounds like a guy on PCP. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, Spring Hill Jack, he disappeared for centuries. Hmm. He was gone for, or at least uh, reports of him disappeared for centuries, because I'm sure not every encounter with Spring Hill Jack was reported to the Bobby. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. All those underreported Spring Hill Jack cases. Man, we could go on and on about those. <laughs> <laughs> Spring Hill Jack just like went on to just put on, to record successful like flute albums. <laughs> where he just goes like, yeah, Spring Hill Jack, laying on the. Laying on the sweet British flute. And those albums also never made it out. I think they're successful. You know? That sounds great. And if you can jump and play the flute, uh, flute you got something. Mm, That's a absolutely. real show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All Je- the dude from Jethro Tull could fucking manage mm-hmm. is just stand on one leg. And they beat Metallica out for uh, most rock and roll album of the year. That they the did. The promise is that he would keep, uh, you know, they would get him into the studios and he would they would set up all the mics and he'd be sitting there all nice and they're like, you ready? Um, so uh, are you ready to go, uh, Jack? You ready to go? And he's like, I'm ready to record. He's <laughs> like, okay, so um, we're just going to come in there. We're going to do a little adjustment to level. Slippity slap, spring heel Jack, and away you go. <laughs> Uh-oh. No I- recording studio can hold me. I'm Springfield Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a very similar Charles Manson experience there for the poor uh, yeah. record producer. Yeah, I think Charles Manson and Spring Hill Jack mm-hmm. recorded much the same. So in the 1920s, that's when Spring Hill Jack returns. One woman said Jack appeared to her in an alleyway and shot a beam of light from his chest, blinding her. Wow. And a man in the same alley said he sprung away like a bird taking flight. And then another account tells of him attacking policemen, uh, policemen spitting a luminous gas in their faces. Cool. He sounds like a Iron Man or something. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like, yeah, he's lighting his incredibly alcoholic-ridden fucking burps on fire. Yeah. 
<laughs> and he doesn't show up again for another few decades. He shows up in the 1970s where the inhabitants of Addercliffe in Sheffield complained about a red-eyed figure who punched women. <laughs> what? I mean, I, this guy... He's everyone's drunk uncle. He's just a, a, a combination of everybody's drunk uncle, and they made up one story to kind of like, you know, what's Uncle Larry like? He's like Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> it's just like in 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 England, you had like two types of people. You have Winston Churchill's, and you have Spring Hill Jack. That's, and that's it. <laughs> They're either like sexless, old, you know, like you know, kind of don't even think about it, and they just do wit- say witticisms and sip on brandy, or they're fucking rapists. <laughs> But the reason why this was a sp- the man who punched women, the reason why there was a Spring Hill Jack connection there, is because he was rumored to jump between rooftops and walk down the sides of walls. Cool. And in South Herefordshire, a salesman named Marshall had encountered in 1986. Now, this was the guy who started the original Marshalls, (laughs) which is also important to remember for the rest of the story. So he's trustworthy. Yes, he's very trustworthy. He encountered a man who took gigantic leaps and slapped him on the road. Jumpity jump, 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 jump. Where are you going? What's your name? My name's Marshall. Oh, Marshall, so lovely to meet you. Tell me. Um, I was wondering, so you work at a shop, right? What do you think of this cloak? Do you like it? I think it's fine. Thank you. Slippity slippity, your jack, away I go. There he goes. <laughs> Off again. He so, doesn't really seem to do much other than that, huh? Slippity slap, there I go. That's Spring Heel Jack is going to randomly punch his people. So in West Surrey, many school-going children reported seeing a man who was all black with red eyes who could run as fast as a car. Cool. Spring Hill Jack just, like, fucking pounding crack in an alleyway. (laughs) So Spring Hill Jack's feeling kind of low energy. Better get my jumping rock going. (laughs) Mm, Spring Hill Jack's feeling good. (laughs) He is back. I think, yeah, junk, Jumping Rock is my favorite thing, uh, favorite name for crack cocaine. <laughs> it's the Jumping Rock. <laughs> kind of fun. Spring Hill Jack has survived until today. Uh-oh. In February of 2012, Scott Martin and his family were traveling in a taxi when they saw a dark figure skitter across the street and climb a roadside bank in seconds near Nescott College in Ewell Bypass. That these seems just, like skittering These, these are British people being racist. <laughs> yeah. That's a skitter, not a jump. I'm not going to give that to Jack. Well, he skittered across the road. Yeah, but I never heard of Jack skittering so far. <laughs> and, well, we think... Okay, Spring Hill Jack. He's over in the UK. We're safe. Us right here? Yeah. Us, uh, Ben Kissel, Henry Zabrowski, myself. We're mm-hmm. safe from the man. We don't have to worry about Spring Hill Jack. We don't. don't. Let's let, just... let them deal with it. Yeah, let them deal with it. However, <clears throat> Spring Hill Jack has been sighted in America since ni- 1892. Oh, my. What the fuck? Yes. You know, it's true. If we couldn't stop Osama bin Laden, how the fuck are we supposed to stop Spring Hill Jack? <laughs> yeah, think about it. In 1892, think about it. it. I'm thinking about it. In 1892, a seven to twelve foot tall phantom dressed all in white with horns on its head Uh was seen spitting fire in the vicinity of the jail in Raymond Street, right here in Brooklyn, New York. This is 1892. 1892. Well, that was just the first rave that had ever happened in Brooklyn. (laughs) Quiet rave with one man at it. 
I just also was imagining Spring Hill Jack on the plane coming over to do 9-11, like, on, like, coming from L.A., and him just, like, literally being like, oh, so when do I pounce on the pilot? And I do my, oh, I crawl and I sneak in between the chairs, and then I spring into the cockpit, and I slippity-slap, slippity-slap, and away I go. Hey, uh, Mr. Jack. Uh, we appreciate uh, your hate for America. We appreciate the, uh, your energy. You're, you're really inspiring all the rest of us. But uh, it, we are going to have to shoot you in the head, right? Got you. Right, guys? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because you're ruining all the shit. <laughs> yeah, you can't have Spring Hill Jack taking credit for 9-11. There's no way that would go down nearly as well as it went down after what they No, did. he's a... He's a he's a liability. He's right. not a planner. No, no, he's a jumper. Yeah, <laughs> erratic is what yeah. they call him. Uh, and a few years later, uh, at exactly eleven fifty-five p.m. out in Long Island, Whoa. mind you, this guy's very regional to us. Every night, a specter appears at the churchyard, jumping to and fro, trying to read inscriptions on the tombstones. <laughs> and when the clock strikes twelve, the ghost positions himself atop a stone, spurts out twelve fireballs, no more, no less. <laughs> <laughs> What a shitty afterlife this ghost has. Five minutes of jumping around, not being able to read gravestones because he never got that education. And then he just has to go vomit on top of one 12 times. He's too ripped on jumping rock. Then he goes yeah. up to like, fuck it. He's like, excuse me, Gino. So I hear this island is pretty long, Long Island. Ha-ha. I'm also referred to as Strong Island. I see your arms are very big, very strong. I'll take a calzone, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't get you. What's, what's your name? What's, what, what are you looking for? My name is Jack. <laughs> all right. Oh, hey, buddy. We're going to pepperoni calzone. He's like, thank you so much for the calzone. A slippery slap. No charge for me. Out of here, go. Yeah, that's the worst Jack. thing about him. Stealing calzones from local Italian eateries. It's not right, Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> well, as far Sad. as explanations go, there are many different options as far as how to explain Spring Hill Jack. Many skeptics dismiss the phenomenon as just mass hysteria or an exaggeration of the activities of an Irish nobleman named yeah, the Marquis the of Waterford. They're blaming it on a drunk Irishman? That's the explanation that the officials are giving? He had previously had bad experiences with women and cops. This is my thing. I don't think the Irish are necessarily known for their vertical leap. No, they are very well grounded. Well, what uh, national or what uh, heritage does Larry Bird have? Larry Bird? He looks very Irish. Oh, the basketball? The last great white basketball player 30 years ago? He jumped, though. He was seven feet tall and just shoot from far away from no. the hoop. He was not a physical player. Yeah, that's the thing. White people have a different kind of way of playing basketball, and we can only be good if we fall backwards weird and can still <laughs> shoot. Like, that's all that white people are able to do, and then everyone's just like, I don't know how to defend that. You just falling backwards all odd. Call a fade away, my friend. Fade away. Yeah, that's all we have. Mm. Well, there are other paranormal uh, explanations for Spring Hill Jack. Some of them say that he's a phantom, a ghost, possibly a demon, but some say that he is an extraterrestrial being from a high-gravity world, which enables him to make the enormous jumps that he does. okay. He's just the first scientist to to invent meth alone (laughs) in his lab. Well, 
We're done. I with... miss Spring Hill Jack already. I know. <laughs> I love Spring Hill Jack. I love the idea of just bouncing around, just bouncing away from a crime scene of slappity slap. Jumping here and there and everywhere. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. He's grabbing boobies and he don't care. Look at it, Spring Hill Jack. <gasps> That's from the Gummy Bears. Yeah. Was it the Gummy Bears theme song? Yeah. Yes. Let's move to World War One. Oh. Now, this is where it's going to get more serious. Yikes. <laughs> And we're covering World War One, not because uh, battles took place in World War One, because there weren't really battles on the British mainland in World War One. Uh, but one million British citizens did die in World War One, and they hmm. did have many ghostly experiences on the battlegrounds. Now, to really give you a picture of how terrible World War One was, it you didn't even have to be in battle to die. Because well, this War is World War One during the time, like you know, it, up until 1965, you could die from getting, you know, like tripping over a horse, like a horse hoof on, on the street, like a <laughs> oh, horseshoe out there, and a carriage run over your head. Like that's things were really intense for a long time. People just died from wearing wool too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's true. I mean, the, the rats numbered in the millions in the trenches and the trench warfare. See, what trench warfare was is, uh, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. These different armies would dig these huge miles-long trenches in which there would be uh, miles of uh, barbed wire in between the two enemy trenches and, of course, snipers yep. on either end. They were infested with millions of rats. They would have two types, the brown rat and the black rat. Uh, the brown rat was especially feared because it would gorge himself on human remains by eating their eyes and the liver specifically, and they could grow to the size of a fucking cat. They're classy. <laughs> Eating that liver. Trenches is just another word for future grave. <laughs> Which I think really ended up happening in a lot of times. Yeah, of yes. course. And a lot of guys would die on their very first day because they were, of course, very curious as to what was going on on the other side oh, of the trench. Oh, let me just, oh, right. I, I, I'm just terribly sick of laying on this trench. Maybe just a, maybe I'll have a constitutional, a bit of a walk around. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly just a sniper shot right to the head. Yeah. Yeah, they would have snipers constantly. Uh, working out this shit. And that's where the uh, uh, people uh, say that it's uh, bad luck to light three cigarettes to one match. Comes from World War One, where because snipers, the light was there too. The long. light was there, and yeah. yeah, and snipers would look out for the lights, and if they saw that th those three flames, boom, all three fuckers are dead. That's why you gotta be a chewing tobacco guy. <laughs> so then they would get shot in the arm or the leg or wherever, and then the mice would just come and start burrowing up into their wounds and things. And lice was also a huge problem. Yikes. They caused trench fever, which is a particularly painful disease that began oh, with oh, severe oh, oh, fame. Oh, 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 oh. I not... thought that was a dance hit. Yeah, the trench I'm fever. <laughs> I remember the trench fever. You don't. You just do it all on your tummy. You just wiggle kind of on the ground, face face forward the ground. Uh, they would get, be severe fame followed by high fever. Uh, recovery would take up to 12 weeks. And Lice wasn't actually identified as the culprit of trench fever until 1918. So as far as they knew, ghosts caused it. They had right. no yeah. idea what was going on their with this main, Their fever. main cause for, for the disease was Springle Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Bouncing in between the trenches. Like, ew, this is gross. There's bugs everywhere. A slippity slap. Uh, uh, trench fever. 
Bring your jack away! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. They, they got taken down by something that uh, infests a sixth grade classroom. <laughs> you know, you rarely think of lice as being life-threatening. But well, that's back in the day, it that's, was. Huh? That's how the bubonic plague was. It was lice and fleas that spread the bubonic plague throughout Europe. But that's uh, a whole different episode. Yeah. If you like that, if you want to know more about the bubonic, bubonic plague, I highly recommend the book, The Great Mortality. It's a fantastic history. Go check it out. And it's fucking brutal. Frogs! were also a huge problem. Frogs would fill really? the trenches. Slugs and horned beetles would constantly be filling these trenches. So these trenches were truly, if you could consider, if you had to imagine any time in history where we truly had hell on earth, it was the trenches of World War One, particularly in the Battle of Somme, was truly hell on earth. I tell you, if these soldiers wanted to fight their war comfortably, they would have fought their war from the Holiday Inn Express. They've got comfortable beds, mm-hmm. friendly staff. Uh, they'll pick up the phone. You could call anytime and be like, I need a hot towel. I need, right. hey. I will say I this about- I need like 20,000 shells. <laughs> I will say this about most Holiday Inn Expresses that I have been to, covered in lice. So that is so, that is a similarity between a Holiday Inn Express and a trench. And you get free breakfast. <laughs> Continental, my friend. Yeah, oh, I love a continental breakfast. Mm, runny scrambled eggs mm. and hard biscuits. You go to some of these places, if they have their make-your-own-waffle bar, that's the type of place that you want to spray mustard gas from. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Well, you're making your own waffle. I love making my own waffle. Yeah, that's I love it, best. too. Well, as far as battlefield hauntings go... The biggest one, as far as the British soldiers were concerned, was the Angel of Mons. The Angel of Mons was thought to have saved retreating French and British soldiers during the Battle of Mons in Belgium. Now, Belgium is one of the big reasons why a lot of these people got into World War I. World War I is a horribly complicated thing, but Belgium, uh, the German soldiers committed horrible atrocities in Belgium. Uh, there was something called... I, I just mean, remember the Balkan powder keg. From high school history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Balkan powder. The Black Hand. Yeah, the Black Hand, Franz Ferdinand, all that type of stuff. I mean, you can go into the Ottoman Empire and go to all sorts of treaties and all kinds of shit. But Belgium Belgium is where a lot of horrible things happen, including the rape of Belgium, much like the rape of Nanking. Mm. The rape of Belgium, this this was uh, committed by the Germans. 6,000 Belgian civilians were killed, and nuns were ordered to strip naked under the pretext that they were spies. What, were they all? Was was it Tony Clifton? (laughs) Was Tony Clifton the only fucking person running, (laughs) working in the German army? It did sound the same. Like uh, for a second when you said the Belgian, the rape of Belgian, I just imagined it there. It was just more like them, like you know, tussling their hair and like changing the time on their fancy clocks. <laughs> mm. I'm also thinking of their waffles. International continental breakfast. Uh, another atrocity was that of the crucified soldier, in which Canadian soldiers wounded at Ypres hmm. had told how one of their officers had been crucified to a wall by bayonets thrust through his hands and feet before having another bayonet driven through his throat and finally riddled with bullets. This, all of these atrocities, this really cemented in the British and French people's minds that a Christian God would intervene directly against such an evil enemy as the Hun, 
for everybody hated the Hun at this point. Yeah. And they blamed Germany for starting the World War, of course. And that goes into the whole reparations thing in the lead up to World War II. But we're going to get to that at a different episode when we cover Hitler and the occult. But they really that, took a lot of time killing one guy. Yeah. You know? Get on with it. So, of course, the uh, British had this extreme belief that God was on their side. The Christian God was on their side and would come to save them. So, during the Battle of Mons, uh, these soldiers, they saw these huge visions of uh, ancient archers coming to their uh, to their aid, angels coming through and chasing the Germans away. But skeptics say that the visions were due to intense stress, fear, and pain. Right. Uh, but some... Uh, this uh, 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 latest and most detailed examination of the Mons story suggests that these men may have been part of a covert attempt by military intelligence to spread morale-boosting propaganda and disinformation. So it could be that they told these soldiers, like, hey, fucker, uh, and Mons? Tell him you saw an angel. I think if we actually saw what was what was going on there, it would just be a bunch of soldiers kissing frogs and thinking they're women. And you're just <laughs> yeah. like... Rubbing Scaring beetles all over their body. Their heads turned into turkeys. Yeah. Like in Looney Tunes. Exactly. And then, <laughs> like every cartoon stuck on a, on a uh, desert island. Uh, so, it, so listeners, anybody in the military, if you want to confirm or deny this, I hear that our military is also starting to do the same sort of morale-boosting propaganda by having soldiers dress up as Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, I like uh, that. And, and fight up in the front. And they think that Spider-Man is fighting with right. us. And then we uh, saw... And not as afraid. Then we saw 15 Kim Kardashian butts going to fight ISIS, <laughs> and we knew God was on our side. <laughs> All right, well, our la- the last thing we're going to cover today as far as our Horrors of the UK episode is some of the most brutal murders that England ever saw, the Moors murders. Are we going to talk about Princess Diana? No, that wasn't really brutal. No, no, that was okay. it. Yeah, yeah, that was just... Paparazzi killed her. Yeah, that well, was... You're talking about covert assassinations yeah. because of her yeah. bloodline mm-hmm. and what their child was going to do the combination of, yep. I, I don't want to call him necessarily Iranian Iguanian. That's what <laughs> Iranian <he> Iguanian. <laughs> or it's possible that Princess Diana refused to uh, participate in occult ceremonies, and mm-hmm. because she refused to participate in them, that's why she was killed. All true. <laughs> All at the same time. All true. So the Moore's murders were carried out by a couple of lovers called Ian Brady and Mira Hendley between July 1963 and October 1965 in and around what is now Manchester in England. The victims were five children between the ages of 10 and 17. They were Pauline Reed, John Kilbride, Keith Bennett, Leslie Ann Downey, and Edward Evans, at least four of whom who were sexually assaulted. We're going to see a lot more in, in, in the UK, there shouldn't be a lot more couple murderers than yeah. there are in America. Yeah, it's really strange how that works out. But there are quite a few in the UK. Uh, the murders were called the Moors murders because the victims were discovered in graves dug on Saddleworth Moor. And mm. a third grave was discovered on the Moor in 1987, more than 20 years after their trial in 1966. Uh, but the body of the fourth victim, Keith Bennett, uh, is defi- has never been found to this day. So let's get a little bit of background on these two idiots. Uh, the first guy, Ian Brady, he was born January 2nd, 1938, the bastard son of a Scottish waitress. Uh, he was raised by foster parents in Gorbals. Gorbals? Gorbals? Huh. Gorbals. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> That's the roughest slum district in Glasgow. Sounds like a gumball company. <laughs> See, that's a fun version of Gorbals. Right. Gorbals also sounds like, to me, cyst the girl in the bottom of your balls. <laughs> oh, Gorbal? No, come on. Uh, my Gorbal popped. I gotta, eat, uh, uh, I gotta get new designer jeans. Yikes. <laughs> well, he gained a reputation as a young psychopath who tortured other children and maimed small animals. On one occasion, Mm-mm. Ian dug a deep pit in the graveyard, tossed in a cat, and then sealed up the opening with a stone because he wanted to see how long it would take for the animal to die of starvation. Hey, mommy, come outside. I made a bit of a science experiment. What I've done here is, all right, now follow me, mommy. <laughs> I've taken Mr. Mittens. You remember our favorite cat, right? <laughs> I fucking buried him down the ground and I put a big old stony stone on top of him because I just want to see um if I can make a ghost. <laughs> I don't like that he swore. I'm just going to say, I don't care what happened to the cat, but no kid of mine should be swearing like that. So when he was a teenager, like many, many, many serial killers that we've covered before, he was arrested a number of times for uh, breaking into houses, drunk and disorderly, and theft. He was an alcoholic uh, and a lifelong thief. Uh, And he beget. he's one of those guys, uh, he's not a dullard like our your Gary Ridgeway. Uh, he had a little bit of cleverness to him. He was what you'd call like a pseudo-intellectual. Okay. A guy that reads a whole bunch of fancy clever books and then decides that he's smarter than everyone else in the entire world and decides that he, he's a superiority killer. How long yes. does it take the cat to die? That's what I want to know. I, how long does it take a cat to starve to death? I don't know. Well, there's a graveyard around here and a shovel. We can fucking figure it out, man. The last podcast on the left science experiment? The thing about science experiments is they need to be repeated in order to confirm the results. Right, right. <laughs> so Ian, he began a period of worship for Hitler and other high-ranking Nazi officials. His library included the history of torture through the ages, sex crimes and sex criminals, the life and ideas of Marquis de Sade, the Nuremberg Diary, a biography on Heinrich Himmler, the kiss of the whip, and sexual anomalies and perversions. Uh, mm. That sounds like my library. <laughs> or mine, either one. <laughs> kiss of the I lips. Have- I have so many. I have. All, I may. I definitely have the life and ideas of Marquis de Sade. Oh yeah. Um. You have history of torture through the ages of something, something like that. Oh yeah, man. I've got one called uh, execution. Uh, I think it's like sixty-four ways to put a man to death. Uh, and uh, various other, you know, tomes and volumes that. You know, well, just maybe want to see cover. somebody who is going around door to door like Iron Maiden salesman and be like, and there's more ways. <laughs> Number 62, stand them on their head. So Mira Henley, uh, she was a, a bit of a dullard, as we say, loved animals, children, and brightly colored lipstick. Uh, well, those are the signs of someone who is dull. <laughs> My question is, is, did she like wearing the lipstick or did she like eating the lipstick? <laughs> I think she liked putting the lipstick on cats, <laughs> preferably dead ones, so that's where the hey, relationship look, really blossomed. Now. Hey, yeah. look, it's a lady. I know it's got a penis, but it's, a la- it's got lipstick on it. It makes it a lady. <laughs> God, I love you, baby. <laughs> Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. 
You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. I'm, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya Centaur picks are not going anywhere, and I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay, because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year, and that's why I'm going to go full tilt. And not only are you going to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale entire series, clothes and non-clothes, what we also are going to offer, and I mean this, we're trying to get into giraffe rides. I brought this up the other day. We got to start riding other animals but horses. Take pictures of the horses. Photoshop the horses into other celebrities, but stop riding them. Save a horse. Ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom! An official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it. So Henley's father, he fought in North Africa and Cyprus and Italy during the Second World War. He served in the Parachute Regiment, and he had a reputation for being a hard man. And he expected his daughter to be equally tough, of course. He taught her how to fight, and she insisted that she always stick up for herself. And if she didn't fight back in any physical altercation, he would beat her with a strip of leather. (laughs) So she was a bit of a tough gal, 17. You know what? Honestly, this is... This is what we're talking about when we talk about equality. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, teaching her to stand up for herself. There'd be a lot less cat callers if everyone was a Myra Henley. Yeah, if everyone was a violent psychopath, cat calling would go away immediately. 
I'm not sure <laughs> about the theory, but it is definitely technically a theory. Yep. At 17, she took judo lessons once a week at a local school, but partners didn't ever want to fight her uh, or train with her because she was often slow to release her grip. <laughs> she also wanted to quit when she found out it wasn't spelled J E W D O. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought I was going to be wrestling Jews. <laughs> she became uh, fascinated with Brett. Well, at 18, she fell in love with the dark and brooding Brady, who she met while Brady was working as a stock clerk at a chemical company where they both were employed, called Millwards in West Gorton. <laughs> it just smells like farty pants. That's how, that's how I met the whole place. It just smells like pants that you've been traveling in for nine hours and oh you're farting God. in because you fucking ate a Philly cheesesteak for breakfast and you're hungover. I'll yeah. never forget when I saw him be stocking shelves and... The chemical plant in Gorewood. <laughs> no, West Gorton. Gorton. If, if any of our West UK, Gorton. if any of our UK listeners out there have been to or live in West Gorton, go to the Facebook page. Let us know what West Gorton is all about. Yeah, what does it smell? Tell us like? what the beaches are like. Yeah. <laughs> Where are the hip boutiques? Do they have any vegan restaurants? Hmm. So Mira, she became fascinated with Brady, who read uh, Mein Kampf on his lunch break and wore black shirts every day. I used day. to work with this guy at the Strand. <laughs> you know, like, I know this guy. Yeah. He just sits around, like, holding Mein Kampf up, like, looking around, just being like, I understand that he's he had a hard time in jail, and he wrote a book. But, of course, she thought that he was very clever because he read it in the original German. So uh, their first date was to the cinema to see The Trial at Nuremberg. See, uh, this is such a romantic story. <laughs> like, this is crazy. You never meet somebody that actually likes all your really fucked up stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? It's really hard. He seduced her on the way home to her grandmother's house, taking her virginity on the first date. Yeah, nothing gets a girl wetter than watching The Trials of Nuremberg. <laughs> Their dates together followed, you know, the similar pattern. I mean, they your grandfather met your grandmother at the trial at Nuremberg, right? <laughs> oh, excuse me, are you talking to me, Henry, or are you talking to Mark? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's oh, you, me? man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they met. They just immediately got married, and rice was thrown at him as he exited the courtroom. A free man. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so that would that would pretty much be their dates. They go to the movies, usually to watch porno film, and then they go back to Henley's house to watch or to drink German wine. It sounds pretty great, minus the fucking mass uh, mass murder. Well, I mean, they were both Nazis. Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, Nazi about each other. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Miris really started to get into the Nazi stuff. She started to idolize a woman named Irma Gressa who uh, she was a concentration camp guard that the British Army nicknamed alternately the female beast of Belzen and mm. the hyena of Auschwitz because she would alternate between those two camps. I want to make a real quick detour to this woman. Her favorite activity, Irma Gressa, her favorite activities including shooting prisoners in cold blood, feeding them to, to her half-starved dogs, personally choosing people for the gas chambers, and stomping women to death with her big black boots and incidentally also she was she loved window shopping mm -hmm. and uh, she loved Downton Abbey oh that's a great show yeah and just like Ian and Mira she had a, a, a relationship with another a Nazi psychopath she was a lover of Joseph Mengele 
You oh. have to be so, how evil do you have to be? Cause you know, it's like when you're a comedian or someone, it's like you want to date somebody as funny as you, you want to date someone as successful as you or someone who's like equal to you. You are, Joseph Mengele is just like, I will only date. I, I'm, and it's so hard for me to get set up with anybody because she's got to be a real fucking evil bitch. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like, I mean fucking straight fucking the evilest bitch that there has ever been. Uh, mm -hmm. And you, I mean, you bring it, you brought me, uh, when you brought me Gretel, and I told her, hey, Gretel, how about if we go on a date and we strangle a dog together? And then she said no, and then I had to fucking kill her? <laughs> right? That's not how, I need a date, I need an equal. Let's it's... be ask you, have you met Irma? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard she's a straight fucking devil. <laughs> Well, let's uh, see if you two hit it off. Let's... You know, it's before Tinder, you know? It's difficult <laughs> to find love. I hear she's going to be at the ovens this evening. Oof! I was, oh, it's so great, because I got great box seats at the ovens. <laughs> I'm standing next to, have you met Ivan Kissel as well? He is, a, he is a hilarious dude. He is always making crazy fucking comments about how they wiggle when, when the gas comes into the room. Yeah. Yeah, you never know what the jokes were, but they had to be pretty dark, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this girl, she was 22 when she was executed for crimes against humanity. So Whoa. she was executed. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. She was, and she was one of the few people who never showed any remorse for her crimes. And in fact, the night before she was executed, her and a couple of female inmates just sang German folk songs all night long. Huh. Like this was one dedicated Nazi. Uh, and she had been, yeah, she had been torturing uh, Jewish prisoners from the time she was a teenager. So this was a, a true fucking psycho. I'm, and I'm right. not, I'm not trying to be like really like fucked up, but she's a little cute. Yeah, really cute. Yeah, she's. Pretty I'm cute. looking at her right now. She's like, <laughs> a, she's kind of thick. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, she's pretty cute. You know, Jeez. usually Mel Gibson was drunk and pulled over when he was saying statements like that, Henry. But uh, I just want to make it clear you are sober right now. Well, I don't, you... I don't know, dude. I'm actually looking at a picture right now. That woman has a fucking forehead on her. All right, I'm going to be the yeah. deciding yeah. vote on this one. Holy Christ, Jesus. <laughs> my balls have gone into my chest. My dick is terrified. No, she's, she is a ball stomper. <laughs> She's got a nice smile. The one thing that's making me yeah, but she like, only smiles when she's she only smiles when she's covered in blood. And that's as soon as the, the gas noise she's starts, she's got all that Jew blood all over her forehead, and that that is a turnoff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you wanted to smile like Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Just like I like it when I hear him get crispy. Oh, oh God! <laughs> Terrible, strong German woman though. Oh yeah, Jeez. that is it. One that's German Ooh. with a capital G right there. Yeah, man. don't mess with those oh. chicks, man. Germans are fucking brutes, dude. Oh. They are big, nasty brutes. <laughs> oh, they're delicate. A lot of them are delicate and sweet and nice. That is not. I've met <laughs> I many very I've many nice to, German people. There are there are amazingly kind German people. I've been to Germany though, and the the big ones are the mean. They're tough. Oh yeah, I wouldn't mess with them. But goddamn the women. Beautiful. I kind of want to be, cause like, but then there's a part of me that just wants to be fucking hoisted up and lifted like a baby by a big German woman <laughs> and have her yeah. wash me in a tub and the, shit like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's the that's the other side of them, you know. God, nice big full gals. Mm. <laughs> mm. Oh yeah. 
All right. So Hensley. Yeah, Mira Hensley. Uh, this woman went full on Nazi. She dyed her hair blonde. She started to wear black leather boots. Started dressing real sexy all the time. And it, okay, and about Mira, here's something that you really hear. This is something that we really heard in the more zealous members of the Manson family. She grew up with really intense religious beliefs. A sure. Super devoted Catholic. But as soon as she's with Brady, much like the Manson followers, she immediately denounced God and was completely enthralled by his pseudo-intellectual rants, type of things right. we talk about. This is what uh, she said about Brady. She said, Within months he convinced me there was no God at all. He would have told me that the earth was flat, the moon was made of green cheese, and the sun rose in the west. I would have believed him. Such was his power of persuasion, his softly convincing means of speech which fascinated me, because I could never fully comprehend, only browse at the odd sentence here and there, believing it to be the gospel truth. Where'd this Damn. cheese thing start with? <laughs> this whole moon cheese thing has always gotten to me. I never understood why people thought it could be cheese. Anyway. People have imaginations, Ben. I know. <laughs> I was calling you bullshit. Always, we were born practical. I was calling bullshit on the cheese moon ever since I was a child. <laughs> I knew it wasn't cheese. It's impossible. So at first, their antics were relatively harmless. They would pose for, for pictures in front of Brady's automatic camera. They would have hoods. They would have whips. They even included uh, Mira's dog, who ironically was named Puppet. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Aww. Real fun. Real little pet dog named Puppet. Yeah. And That's Brady. Cute. Yeah. And Brady, he tried to sell the pictures, but not a single person was interested in the marginally attractive Henley. Uh, oh, he yeah. wanted to sell him uh, for sexual reasons? He was he, trying to make smut out of it? He was trying to make some smut. And oh, and no one was buying? No one oh, was buying. Oh, how sad is that? If you have your you and your girlfriend naked, like a sex film, and you're just like, hey, so I got a tape, you want it? And then everyone's like, not for us. No, no, can't do. <laughs> well, That's a slap in the face. Henley was a big hip woman. Sure. Yeah. Kind of, I, well, yes. Some might say pear shaped. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. just, you know, if, if you're going to make a sex tape and you're trying to sell it, you better be sure that you're making that sex tape with someone who can sell. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say she wasn't Hitler's ideal. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. So the couple have been seeing each other for about two months before Ian moved into Henley's grandmother's home. And less than a month later, the first victim would be dead. Yikes. First victim, Pauline Reed. On July 12th, Mira drove, a bre drove her minivan while Brady followed her on his motorcycle. And by the way, it took Mira three times to pass her driving test. Ooh. Yeah. Her oh, sorry, I keep... Uh, oh, which one's the, which one's the turning knob? <laughs> which one's is it the big one in front? Oh. One, right in front one right in front of you. It's in front oh, of you. I can't be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so Mira's job was to pick up a female hitchhiker, which she found in 16-year-old Pauline Reed, who was a friend of her younger sister, Maureen. And Mira told Pauline that she was on her way out to the moors. And moors, if you don't know what those are, they're bleak, windy, grassy expanses of essentially useless wasteland. Beautiful. Oh, uh, Absolutely. A lot beautiful. of the UK is Moors, right? Yeah, a lot. Of, well, northern UK. A lot of northern UK is Moors. So uh, it's like our Long Island. <laughs> Something like that? Yeah. Uh, I would say it's maybe closer to uh, grasslands. Oh, okay. maybe like Maybe like the Midwest, but a lot of hills, green, beautiful. Like Yorkshire, Manchester, a lot of that. Those are a, those are a lot of moors. Beautiful places. Oh, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Mira told uh, Pauline that she had lost an expensive glove out on the moors, and she was wondering if Pauline would help her find it. And Mira said, hey, if you help me find my glove, I'm going to give you a bunch of records. Me and Sounds Pauline. like when you... 
beat a video game and you're like, I still want to play it. What's the other mission that I haven't done? <laughs> Go find dipshit's glove in the field. <laughs> it sounds awful, like the end of it's, Borderlands it's or something. A, it's a fetch mission, yeah. Yeah, it sucks. So the more is Brady, who had been discreetly following the duo in his motorcycle, attacked Pauline, raped her, and cut her throat. Jesus. And while Mira claims that she stayed in the van as the crimes took place, Brady maintains that Mira also committed sexual acts on Pauline. And afterwards, they buried her body on the moor, and then when they returned to town, they passed by Pauline's mother, who was already out looking for her missing daughter. Would they, did they say anything to her, or they just saw her? They didn't say nothing to her. Huh, they just crazy. saw her. Like, oh, look, she's looking for, not going to find her. <laughs> hey, 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 you want to buy some smut? <laughs> we got piles of smut. Nobody, nobody's buying oh, it. Is Pauline's mother don't bother her? Any opportunity, baby. You know, you know, I'm a businessman. What are we yeah, gonna so. do with all this smut? <laughs> so the next victim was John Kilbride. He was killed on November 23rd, 1963. He was 12 years old. They picked him up, telling him that his mother would be worried he was out so late. Come on, I'll give you a ride home. But then she told him, "Hey, listen, Johnny." I got a bottle of sherry back at my place. Why don't we go drink some of that, Johnny? He was like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's this is go. what happens when you let kids drink wine by the time they're two years old. <laughs> this, this European stuff, man. <laughs> then on the way to the house, she said, oh, no, wait, I lost my glove. out on Another the glove <laughs> mission? <laughs> Another thing, my, come on. on. Lose a shoe. <laughs> I happened to lose my, I lost my, um, it's it. It's not my shoe. It's what's the top shoe? What's the shoe <laughs> it's for a glove. Cover for your body? Hat. Hat. My hat. My my hand hat. My hand hat. <laughs> <laughs> my glo- glove. You my lost glove. a glove. Okay, I'll help you find your glove. That's, let's move on. So uh, Brady, uh, of course, was out there waiting. He raped the boy and strangled him with a shoelace after he found his knife was too dull to cut through John's throat. Sawed at it and sawed Jesus at it and sawed Christ. at it. Jesus Christ. And then took the shoelace off of his shoes and strangled the boy. Uh, and police would later find the boy's body while identifying landmarks and a picture of Mira posing at the grave with her dog, Puppet, uh-huh. who incidentally died in police custody. And uh, when Mira found out that the poli- the dog, that Puppet had died in police com- custody, it was one of the only times she ever showed any emotion uh, because, like Hitler, Mira also loved her puppies. Sure, sure. There's something about those Nazis Absolutely, and puppies. Hit, like in the bunker... Uh, when they were all sh- when they were shutting down the bunker, when they were closing up for good, h- they got the sweetest death. His uh, his two schnauzers. Yeah. They literally like got uh, they got fed like a, po- a yep. very gentle poison, and they were like they died in their sleep when everyone else got shot in the fucking face. Yeah, they they were named uh, one of them was named Blondie. The creepiest thing is when somebody dies and they have all their dogs euthanized to be buried with them. Oh, you ever hear those? Stories? You can do that. that? Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you can. Yeah, it happens. It happens every now and again. It might be a state by state issue. But. Well, I can't wait till yeah. I die and Ben and Marcus are euthanized to be buried with me. You're not yeah. a pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> so we can do whoever dies first. In the afterlife. We have to make a pact right now, guys. Whoever dies first. We must both kill each other. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. That'll be great. I mean, I was thinking we could just, you know, be replaced. Oh, yeah. They have a nice funeral for the person who's died. <laughs> Remember their life and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then get a new co-host and the show goes on. Well, what's the point of living, you know? 
If one of us dies, what's the point of going on? So next on the kill list is another twenty year, tw- another twelve year old boy, Keith Bennett. Uh, Hendley lured him into his minivan, which Brady was already sitting in the back of, by asking the boys help and loading up some boxes. After which she would drive him home because the old Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Uh, and she drove to a layby on Saddleworth Moor, where she and Brady had previously arranged. Brady went off with Bennett. Supposedly looking for a lost glove. I hate Jesus. this glove thing. <laughs> it's my glove. I just, you know, it's hard to hold on to a glove. I, I, I'm lucky I got my shoes on. How often <laughs> I lose my glove. It's insane. <laughs> so Henley kept watch, and after about 30 minutes, uh, Brady came back alone and carrying a shovel that he had left there earlier in preparation for the murder. Uh. And when Henley asked how he had killed Bennett, uh, Brady said, they, of course, he raped the boy, and then strangled him with a piece of string. At some now, point, the thing. With, between the string and the other thing, it just sounds like they're ki- they're killing them as if they were, like, the mice that hang out with Cinderella. Like, it's all <laughs> yeah. weird, tiny things. <laughs> Those shoelaces and strings. And they're still having sex with each other this whole time? He's oh. always banging all these young boys and whatnot? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot. God, they're having just brutal sex yeah. the entire time. Uh, and this kid was actually the only body to never be found. Uh, years and years later, in the 80s, after these people were already caught, uh, Henley made the first of two visits to try to find the boy's body. Uh, four police cars took this woman out at 4.30 a.m. Police closed all the roads on the moor. Uh, it was patrolled by 200 officers, and 40 of them were armed. And Henley came in with her lawyer by helicopter... And touchdown at 8.30, Ann Henley wearing a donkey jacket and a balaclava. Damn, she's like Kanye. But, you know, uh, the bright side of that story is they did find a glove. Uh, so that was really something special. She was looking for that glove There's all this time. There's my goddamn glove. It's, it was never alive. <laughs> they could have just found the glove in the first place. No one would have had to die. Uh, so frustrated they can't find these fucking gloves. And then you're hard because you're frustrated, and sure. then you're raping. Next thing you know, you're raping. Next thing you know, you're killing. Yeah. No one's got shoelaces anymore. Real slippery slope. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she went out there, and of course, but after searching for hours and hours, they found absolutely nothing, uh, and the press criticized the fuck out of them. They said that it was a fiasco, a publicity stunt, and a mindless waste of money, and the official search for the body wouldn't end until 2009. And never been found still. Never been found. They never found the body. Good, good. So a year and a half later, on December 26, 1965, on Boxing Day, no less, the deadly pair kidnapped 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey from a nearby fairgrounds. They found her just standing unattended by one of the rides. They walked up to her. They deliberately dropped some of the uh, shopping that they were carrying. They said, hey, listen, little girl, we can't carry all of this. Could you help us take this to the van? And of course, oh, little girl, I'm did. sorry, we have far too many boxes of gloves. <laughs> Can you possibly help me take them to the car? You one can't possibly have enough gloves. <laughs> and in his what is most possibly their what is definitely their cruelest murder, they took her back to the house uh, where Brady set up a light and a camera and forced the girl to pose for uh, illicit photographs, and then he turned on a tape recorder to capture her pleas for mercy, and uh, he raped her for 13 minutes. Hmm. Uh, and Henley... How'd you know it was 13 minutes? Uh, because they played the tape in court. Christ. Yeah. 
and that tape that they played in court, that would cement their reputation as England's boogeymen. Yeah. For years and years to come, I mean, it's like they would in in England. Uh, my ex girlfriend, who grew up in Yorkshire in the Moors, uh, she her uh, parents would tell her uh, when she was being bad, "If you're bad, uh, Mira Henley will come and get you." Crazy, like, yeah. She, like they were actual boogeymen that mm. people would use to scare their children. Whereas when we were kids, if you would have told us that Jeffrey Dahmer was going to come and get us, fucking cool. Yeah, it would have yeah, been pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, rock and roll, yeah. yeah. ACDC, Mom. <laughs> uh, so Henley, she maintains that she went to fill a bath for the little girl, and she found the little girl dead when she returns, but Brady maintains that Mira had insisted on killing Leslie herself with her own two hands with a two-foot length of silk cord, which, this is fucked up, Henley would later... She used to enjoy playing with the cord in public, just in the secret of knowledge of what it was used for. So I, uh, I don't mean it ruin our afternoon, but even you just playing with it, the silk cord is creeping me out. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not into it anymore. I, I just, we've already killed a bunch, and so I just need a break. I think we should just watch some like Cheers or something, <laughs> and just something light. Have a nice afternoon. I just so her, she told the cops that natural causes is what killed the ten year old. Well, she said, uh, she maintains throughout all this, she said that she never participated in any of the murders, never participated in any of the raids. Mm-hmm. The only thing she participated in was luring the victims. Oh, okay. Yeah, she said that for years I don't and years. believe it, Marcus. <laughs> She's a killer and a rapist. Yes, she is. In October of 1965, Brady for some reason or another, decided that he wanted to form a gang. (laughs) (laughs) The One Glove Gang. (laughs) The One Glovers. (laughs) So he chose as his first member Mira's unemployed brother-in-law, David Smith. Now, Smith, he was 17 and had a record of violence, which included wounding with intent to harm when he was 11, and he, of course, had a heavy drinking habit. And Smith, like Mira, uh, developed a complete infatuation with Brady, and the three would drive around the moors in Henley's minivan just talking about future gang activity, you know, what are we going to rob, yeah. what are we going to do. Typical. practice target shooting out there because Mira was apparently a crack shot. Oh. She was a part of the rifle club. It's sort of like that scene in the movie It where Bev, is a very good slingshotter. She's very good at slingshots. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> said it's like it was meant to be Bev. It was like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Brady, he would brag to Smith that on one, he would brag to Smith all the time that he had killed multiple people and he had buried them on the moors and he had the photographs to prove it. He said, "I've killed three or four and I'll do another one, but I'm not due for another one for two or three months, but it will be done." Oh, all right. I will say, honestly, though, it does sort of feel like the very beginning of uh, the Police Academy movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so some months later, uh, Mira, she woke Smith up in the middle of the night, uh, and he, she said, hey, I need you to walk me home. And once she was there, she lured him inside with a promise of miniature bottles of wine. <laughs> And as Dave Smith walked inside, he found Ian on the living room floor, crouched over 17-year-old Edward Evans, raining blows down on his head with a hatchet. And the pathologist later counted 14 wounds in Edward Evans' head. During the struggle, the screams and shouts, by the way, don't forget, they still lived with Mira's grandmother at this point. Yeah. The whole time they were living with Mira's grandmother. Shouts woke her up. And Mira went back, reassured her, like, hey, listen, everything's fine. We're just having a bit of a fight down here. Why don't you go back to bed? 
And of course, the grandmother went back to bed. You saw that with Dahmer as well yeah. when he was killing a dude yeah. down in the basement. Told Granny, just go back to bed. Grandmas go back to bed. That's what they do. Grandmas always go back to yeah. bed. So Your grandmas always just go back to bed. They never stop the serial killer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so after raining the blows down for a little while, uh, Brady, he just remarked, he said, this one's taking a time to go. And he grabbed a cushion and tried to smother Evans with it. And when that took too long, Brady took a length of rope, strangled him to death. And with the boy finally dead, Ian said, that's it. That's the messiest one yet. Yeah. And then the darkest use of the Benny Hill theme ever. <laughs> they used that to uh, sort of underline their whole actions, and it was macabre, but uh, it still fills the annals of British comedy. It sounds like it. How did One he... of the worst scenes of all time. How can't you kill him? 14 blows to the head with an axe? Yeah. I mean, that... Oh, a hatchet. A ha... Yeah, but that's, that's a lot. That's yeah. enough. Yeah, it's enough. Yeah, because it, went, it, I'm it turned the... out to be a rubber axe, and then <laughs> yeah. came in with the fucking with two balloons in front of her tits. It's like you have yeah. the the hatchet. You you hit him 14 times in the head, and then you're like, oh, I better go with the soft thing that people lie on for comfort. Went to the pillow. Went to the, the hatchet to the pillow. Hatchet to pillow to rope. No sense whatsoever. So uh, after he finished with the after he finished killing him, Smith ha- or. After he finished killing him, Brady handed Smith the the hatchet, just saying, like, feel the weight of it, uh, which, you know, of course, ensured Smith's fingerprints would cover the axe handle, making him implicit in the crime. Then the trio mopped and scrubbed the room to remove the bloodstains. Smith, naturally too frightened to refuse because he had just seen the psychopath, who he knew was a psychopath, right. kill a man. So he just helped out with it, and he even helped Brady truss the boy up like a chicken, knees to chin, and wrap the boy in plastic before carrying it upstairs to dispose of later. And as they carried it upstairs, Brady quipped, Eddie's a dead weight. And in one of the most British mm. things these people could possibly do, after leaving the body in the vacant room, the three then returned downstairs for a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So as far as capture goes, Dave left in the early morning hours and promised to return with a pram to remove the body from the house to the car. When he arrived home, he became violently ill and confessed to his wife what had happened. Uh, and, of course, he was terribly afraid of Brady, so the two waited until daylight. They, when armed with a knife and a screwdriver, made their way to a phone booth and called the police. Mm. So at 840 that morning. This is what morning, happens when you try to start a new gang. You mm-hmm. can't just bring a dude into the fray if he hasn't been properly fucking indoctrinated. Yeah, you got to yeah. be really sure they're super into it. Uh, so at 840 uh, that morning, a police superintendent that was dressed as a baker's roundsman knocked on the door of the mm. killer's house. And when Brady oh, opened the door. for sale. <laughs> I hope you like pies. <laughs> oh, you know I love pies, Brady. Oh, this one's got a, is it a handcuff in it? <laughs> so when Brady opened the door, uh, he immediately identified himself because, of course, it's a baker. Maybe yeah. he's bringing pies. Uh, the superintendent pushed his way past Henley, or pushed his way past Brady to find Henley laying on the couch wearing nothing more than a vest. Oh, my. And as Brady was getting dressed, uh, he said, uh, Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. For cops raided Brady's house and found the bloody corpse still wrapped in pr- plastic. And searching the residence, police found a key to the train sta- to a train station locker in the spine of a prayer book called the Garden of the Soul that Mira's aunt and uncle had given her for her first communion. And inside the train station locker 
were the pictures and the 13-minute tape recording of the murder of Ooh, Leslie and Dowling. And I like during this year, it's like during the initial investigation, yeah, Myra said in true Nazi form that she was only following orders. Yeah. Yeah, in true Nazi form. That's what she said uh, as soon as she got caught. She's like, oh, no, I was under the spell of him. I was only following orders. Sorry. It's just kind of funny if you think about a bunch of, like, bakers doing all of the detective work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a problem. It's like, it's like flour. in Scotland and in these areas, a lot of times it's like how they we used to have, like, barbers and surgeons. They have people that are, like, bakers, cops, teachers, uh, policemen, Senators. Yeah. <laughs> so police search in the house at Whirlbrook Avenue also found an old exercise book in which the name John Kilbride had been scribbled. And that made them suspicious that, you know, of course, these people were probably involved yeah. in the disappearance of all of these kids. Uh, they found a big collection of photographs, and a lot of them were taken out on the moors. And 150 officers uh, searched the moors, looking for looking uh, at locations that matched their photographs. Uh, and a close neighbor to Mira and Ian, who they had for some reason befriended and didn't kill, this 11-year-old kid named Pat Hodges, uh, Brady and Hendley uh, would take him out to the moor and they point out their favorite spots to him. Uh, and, of course, cops went out in October 16th. They found an arm bone sticking out of the peat. And officers, they thought that they had found the body of John Kilbride, but instead that body was actually Leslie Ann Downey. Mm. Yep, and then the detectives, they were able to, uh, they found another spot five days later. They found the badly decomposed body of John Kilbride. Uh, and the search for bodies continued, but with winter setting in, it was called off in November. I'm too cold. Oh, oh, I just took a break. Take a break. It's almost Christmas. So I got to do some shopping. Oh, my God. Wow. All right. Well, that's the Moore's murder. Very oh, interesting. No, so what, not yet. There's not still yet. There's, more. there's more. Yeah, there's more. There's just wow. a little bit more. Uh, the trial, very interesting. Yeah. David Smith, he was brought in as a chief prosecution witness, but during the trial, it was revealed that he had actually entered into an agreement with a newspaper guaranteeing him the equivalent of 20,000 pounds. That would be about $40,000 wow. in 2014 money for the syndication rights to his story if the murderers were convicted. Uh, but the judge called it a gross interference with the course of justice. And he, uh, Smith finally admitted that the newspaper was the news of the world, which had already paid for a, a holiday, holiday in, in France, France for, for him. him and his wife and was paying him a regular income of 20 pounds per week wow. as well as accommodating him in a five-star hotel it's for so the crazy. duration and I'm of the I'm filming trial. a television show, and I'm, uh, I'm put up in what is probably a whore's motel. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun to be there, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, Smith, of course, uh, despite being the main witness and despite being the guy that turned in uh, the Mira and Ian, uh, he was nationwide pariah for years and years. Yeah, yeah his wife, he got death threats all the time. His wife got death threats. Uh, so his life was pretty much over because, you know, of course, he hang out with these idiots. Right. Uh, yeah. And so the, the tape recording of Leslie Ann Downey was played in open court. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. And Henley, she admitted that her attitude towards the little girl was brusque and cruel. 
Uh, but she claimed that she was only that was only because she was afraid that someone might hear the little kids screaming. Uh, and she claimed that when Downey was being undressed, she was downstairs, and when the photos were being taken, she was looking out the window, which is one of her biggest hobbies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, and she said when she uh, was uh, the kid was being strangled, she was running a bath. And on May 6th, after deliberating for just a little over two hours, they found Brady guilty of the murders and found Henley guilty of the murders of Downey and Evans. And kind of like Manson, uh, as the the death penalty for murder had been abolished uh, while the two were being held, uh, these people, of course, got life imprisonment. Henley died in prison in 2002 from heart failure, while Brady is still alive and kicking and wrote and released a book in 2001 called The Gates of Janus, Serial Killing and Its Analysis. Wow, still alive today, huh? It's not badly written. I've read some of it. Crazy. I mean, it's a lot of... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of speculation, and, you know, he's not the worst writer in the world. God, but, that's yeah, great. People in Britain were pissed off. When yeah, it, it's insane. I mean, it was it was released by a U.S. company. And, and Is still, he able to profit from it? or I doubt it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but well, it's like the How I Did It book. Yeah, exactly. They're probably better written. Yeah. Because oh, British yeah. people are natural storytellers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And still to this day, people, this is an extremely sensitive subject. Yeah. At least way up into the 90s. In 1997, there was an art exhibition in which uh, someone had done a painting of Mira Henley's mugshot, and there were protests. Oh, was, really? People that, came that out that against it. Very famous. Yeah, her fa- her picture that like because you'll see it in the number of uh, she's a pretty infamous character in the world of serial killers. And yeah. uh, and um, honestly, in terms of female serial killers, does them right. Yeah, yeah, she is a full on. She's psychopath. a trickster. Yeah, she's truly true. And to the day to the day she died, ne- never confessed you know? to a single thing. Well, she's got nothing on Eileen. That's what I always say. No, she does not. No one got shit on Eileen. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And we did all of this today in celebration of what is not the official announcement. Not but official. A, a uh, you know, a, an idea of beginnings of research for when we will possibly be in the UK somewhere around the end of March mm-hmm. 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be very exciting. Oh, yeah. In the works right now, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. So not the official announcement, but... Working announcement. On working on it. And We're not working official. on it. Working on it. Thanks Just so much. Just got to dot the T's and cross the I's. That's right. And I have to learn how to jump and wear a cape. <laughs> yes. It'll be <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, the nice podcast on the left. I love the podcast. But I, oh, c- please come closer. Oh, Henry, it's so lovely to meet you. You're so funny on the show. Spiggly smack, smack your tits. Jump it away. <laughs> Spiggly check. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Let's do a Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. And a Hail Gein. A Hail Yourselves. Hail me um, if you um, would. <laughs> Let's do a Magustalations. Magustalations. Go to follow the- us on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. That's at Henry Loves You. That's at Marcus Parks. And I'm at Ben Kissel. And don't forget to get your last podcast on the left t-shirt. Go to cavecomedyradio.com slash last podcast on the left. And if you donate $25 here in the U.S., you get a t-shirt. And if you donate $40 overseas, you get a t-shirt as well. They look awesome. Thanks, yeah. everyone, for joining the Facebook page and, uh, and keeping the conversations going. And if you order from the U.K., we'll send you a glove. 
Uh, so that would be kind of exciting. We know how your people are always missing one. No, don't even worry about killing the kids. We'll just get you a glove. And also, don't forget to go to podsurvey.com slash last to take the survey and get us some advertisers. Awesome. All right. All right, hail Satan. The savings rock when you find a new way to roll, like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.